and welcome back to another episode of the Prime Podcast. Before we get started, I just want to hit a few things that have been going on behind the scenes that maybe you may not be aware of. One, Prime Connect. Prime Connect is our online subscription-based service. We also do a lot of individual design for clients who are looking for something more specific. Folks who are working out in the garage with limited equipment or in their basement, or folks who have been to a gym, didn't really like it, and have found themselves in a position where they want something more and where they are located, they were just not able to find that. So Tyler, Kalesi, and myself are here to provide those services. We do both a subscription-based model for $50 a month, which is a templated program that allows you to follow along as you would in a group strength and conditioning model. There is minimal feedback, but the program is the program. And then there's also the individual design where you get everything completely tailored to you, your goals, your uh, movement needs, and your equipment availability. So those are two options, completely remote. Second, I wanted to just touch upon something that I have going on personally, and that is Anthony Mercurio Performance, and that is my athlete performance program. We have something coming up through the summer, two different options here, a paid program that runs Monday through Friday all summer for athletes. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we're doing strength and conditioning, well, just strength training, so to speak. And Tuesdays and Thursdays, we're going to do some field work where we're going to do some speed and agility. In addition to that, I'm also going to be running some free speed camps in the local area. Tuesdays and Thursday evenings that are completely free and open. If you are local, reach out to me, check us out on Facebook, check us out on Instagram and get it going. All right. On to the episode. (laughs) Hey, let's go. All right, all right, all right. So this episode comes a little differently as I am going to be here talking to myself. Different time, crazy schedule last week, wasn't able to kind of lock down anything, a specific time for anybody to be able to do it. So here we are. And a few weeks ago, we polled our members only uh, Prime Movement Performance page. And on there, we had a bunch of topics that people wanted us to touch upon. And while we do hit some of them, I'm going to kind of go through, rattle them down, and just touch upon things as they come. And I'm just going to start right at the top and work my way down and just sit here and rant on about different topics and ideas that have come up and I think that are relevant to a lot of different people. The first one is nutrition. Now, we've talked about nutrition a bunch of different times. We've had two different hosts, or actually three different guests, that talked specifically about nutrition with my good friend, Jamie Free of 2-7 Performance Fitness down in uh, Nashville, Tennessee area. Uh, I played college football with him. Go back and listen to that episode. Outstanding. We've had Susan Niebergall, which talked quite a bit about nutrition in there, but just general health and fitness there. And then we had E.C. Sinkowski, who was a creator of 800 Gram Challenge, who also was very specific on nutrition. So those are two other places to dive deep into nutrition as a whole. Now, if we're talking just basic nutrition, the question that came up was just the fact that we don't get a proper nutrition education as we grow up. And all the information that we get is from these media things. And a lot of it is poor information. And we we try to read food labels, we try to do this and that, and we never know what's good. This week, they're telling us to eat non-fat dairy products. And next week, it's full fat 
we should eat avocados, we shouldn't eat avocados, fruit is bad for you, sugar is the devil, sugar is good for you, carbs are terrible, bread is okay, you shouldn't eat meat, you should eat impossible meat or whatever it's called, so on and so forth. So it always goes back and forth and flip-flops back and forth. We never know what the real answer is. The problem is, is that if you break it down through like the most rudimentary level, as I have young children. So having young children allows me to see the development of their ideas around fitness and health, their ideas around nutrition, their ideas around these different things at a very, very, very young age. And what we learn as we kind of develop and do that sort of stuff is those things kind of become ingrained into our psyche. So always getting a dessert or always getting a treat after a meal. We start to expect that. Eating lots of high sugar foods versus whole foods. We start to consume and need that sort of thing and that those cycles become harder and harder to break. So one thing that is always going to, no matter which diet, quote unquote diet or plan that you look at, whether that's vegan, vegetarian, paleo, Whole30, Atkins, I may be missing some in there, but whatever they are, the carnivore diet, all these different things, even though some may take whole macronutrients out or they may restrict things heavily, all of them have the same overarching principle. And many times that's eat whole minimally processed foods and cut down the amount of food you're eating. So if we take out of if we take out carbs for example, that's going to force us to eat less food. Therefore, you know, potentially make us lose weight and so on and so forth. The idea isn't to let's say if I'm a vegan for example, the idea isn't just to eat french fries all day. The idea is to get whole minimally processed foods that I can eat and consume and be healthier with. Okay? So hopefully we get the idea there. So the best thing that, that we're always going to be able to do is to be able to eat whole, minimally processed foods. And that includes, you know, things that are as close to the environment as possible and the things that are closest to being alive as possible. So the more processed it is and the more cycles it goes through different things, the less nutritious it is for our bodies. So try to keep things as close to normal, right, or nature as possible, and you'll be in a good position. Right. If you if you looked at EC's kind of ideas, which I really really liked her progression, was start with 800 grams of fruits and vegetables, which is two cups. Could be a cup of vegetables and a cup of fruit at every meal, three meals a day, and you'll you'll find that once you start doing that, you start eating a lot more whole foods, and you start being more full, and you start being less cravings, and you start all these different things start positive things start to happen, and we start getting in a better position nutritionally. So again, if we take away all these different things. Like for me, like the milks and the, we have to have 17,000 different milks and we have to have all these different meat substitutes and different things of that nature. I understand if you are a vegan or you like that stuff for a variety of different reasons, but and at the end of the day, some of those things are going to be the most nutritious for us. And if we completely eliminate them, it's going to be hard. We're going to be hard pressed to kind of find a better way to get those nutrients. So keep it simple Whole minimally processed foods, you know, and I think uh, the author of, oh, I'm having a brain fart right now, uh, Michael Pollan, the author of uh, The Omnivore's Dilemma, talks about eat food, not too much, or mostly plants and not too much. Real simple six-word explanation on how anyone can tackle nutrition. People like to talk about supplements a lot. What kind of protein do you take? Do you take creatine? Do you take BCAAs? Do you do pre-workout? Do you do this? Do that? Do that? It's piggybacks off of the nutrition idea. If you are 
consuming the proper amounts of, of foods and different things, then supplements are not needed. And again, if you, if you go back and listen to the EC podcast, she talked about the negligible gains for a general fitness enthusiast that you would receive from supplementation isn't worth it in the long run. If you are a performance athlete and you're trying to increase your performance for a specific event, for a uh, sport or thing like that, then yes, supplementation might be an answer for something. But if we're just a general fitness enthusiast, that little, the, the extra one or 2% stronger or better or whatever it is, is not going to really affect your life in a way, but you, it might affect how you perform in the gym. Now, what, what are the trade-offs? You know, and if you want to do that, that's completely up to you. So I would think some of those supplements and having to do BCAAs or, or some of these different things, the supplement industry is, is a bazillion dollar industry right now. And there is just so many different things that are out there and we never know what's truly in them because they are not regulated by anybody. So the FDA doesn't regulate it. Nobody, because it is considered a quote unquote dietary supplement, they don't get regulated by any industry. So they can do kind of whatever they want to do and they can sit back and kind of just throw things at the wind. And if people like it, then they, they consume it and so on and so forth. So a lot of it is, is what works for you as we've talked about before, but I think supplements get, put on a pedestal when they really shouldn't be anything that we do until way later on in the game if we are, and only if, we are doing things for performance-based, not just general health and fitness-based. I hope that clarifies some of that kind of stuff. Like all these things go back to to nutrition and, and just kind of being consistent with what we do. There was a question that came up was talking about, oh, what about plateaus and how to get past them and so on and so forth. Plateaus are, are a very interesting thing because some people hit them and some people don't. For example, I've, I've been training pretty consistently for 20 plus years, right? Yeah, I'm 38, I'll be 38, probably, probably longer, yeah, probably like 22 years I've been training. And I can honestly say that there was never a point in my life where I was like, oh, I've hit a plateau, I've stopped improving at something. And I don't, I, I guess I don't look at stuff in the gym in terms of like weights, in terms of how heavy something is in terms of my progress in that movement. Sometimes a progress for me, oh, and, and at some points in my life, progress for me in a squat was having no pain in my hip or in my lower back. Okay, so that's, a, that's progress. So even though the weight might have leveled off, that doesn't mean that I've hit a plateau because now I can do it without pain, right? It might be improving a range of motion and movement that I didn't, wasn't have before. So maybe I, I was working on a seated good morning and some flexibility things during quarantine. I was able to move further in that direction. And also speaking on that, if you can increase a range of motion of an exercise, there's a likelihood that you will also increase the strength of that exercise. So if I maybe start doing some movements laterally side to side, so I switch it up, do something that's a little bit different to work you know, quote unquote, a different muscle group or different parts of a muscle, then I'm able to go back into that traditional movement and improve, right? There's been some kind of uh, anecdotal things from some organizations that have done tests within a back squat. They'll test two groups in a back squat and have one group just squat for eight weeks and then one group just do step-ups for eight weeks. And many times the step-up group improves their squat more than the squat group. Also, they've had 
studies like this where they would have folks run, uh, I don't know, maybe something like a 40 yard dash, time them, and then have a one group run forwards for eight weeks and the other group run backwards for eight weeks. And the backwards group improved better or more than the forwards group. So you see how like hitting plateaus might be a very interesting thing. And we might want to do something that's uh, not the same that we're trying to improve upon. It might be we have to take a break from it and then come back from it and maybe work some other parts of that movement pattern to improve upon it. So a plateau is a couple different things. It might be a sign for making some changes or it might be a sign that like, hey, we might want to keep going for a little bit longer, especially in terms of weight. I think people hit, if they're trying for weight loss, they hit a plateau really early and if they lose too much too soon and then there's more coming but they give up too soon before they see the end result. So when you think about that, if I'm, let's say I lost 10 pounds really fast, I'm looking for 15, and then I get to that 10 pounds and it sits there for two weeks, and then I give up, and then I'm kind of like, oh, this is not happening, I've just plateaued or I leveled off. And then I stop doing whatever I was doing, and then all the weight might come back. But if I were to stick with it for another few weeks, that five pounds might have come off. So sometimes it's, it's consistency, like sticking with it for a little bit longer, but also maybe switching things up in terms of, if we've been on a plateau for a long time in the fitness realm, it might be time to kind of switch some movements up and try something a little bit different. And you might see that if I switch things up a little bit or I go to maybe a little bit more unilateral or maybe I go to a little bit side to side movements or I go backwards, right? Like the running example, then we might find that those plateaus and we burst through them when we go back to our regular thing. The knees over toes guy, Ben Patrick, and he was talking about how he was training a, an elite level dunker. Right, a guy who just dunks for a living, which is kind of a cool job or whatever you want to call it. But he found that the guy, he always jumped and landed on his left leg and his right leg was two inches smaller in you know, diameter than, or circumference than his, his left leg. So what Ben worked on him with was strengthening his right leg, getting it back to equal with his left leg. And what he found is that the guy ended up increasing his vertical dramatically and got out of pain. So you see how like... You know, sometimes when we, the, the answer is right in front of our face, it's obvious, but we don't think about it because we don't take the time to step back and be like, hey, what am I doing right now? Am I auditing what I'm doing? Take a look at it and obvious choice, right? His right leg is smaller, even though he's jumping on his left leg, but then he's obviously doing way too much on the left leg that is getting beat up. So maybe if he balances things out a little bit, things might get a little bit better. And you might find that if you squat and you have back pain or shoulder pain on one side, that could be a couple different reasons. It could be because you're overusing that side because the other side, it's compensating for something on the other side. Or, you know, it could just be that that side hasn't some sort of issue that we want to look at. So you got to get assessed to determine which one is the real cause and then create a plan with somebody to kind of do that. And that's what we do with ID and some other things that, that Tyler and I work on remotely, as you heard before. In our gym, like many kind of quote unquote CrossFit style gyms, and if we talk about it anyway, uh, we'll touch upon it a little bit. CrossFit's definition is constantly varied functional movements at high intensity. So constantly varied functional movements at high intensity. At this point in the game in fitness, the majority of people are doing that. Okay. The majority of people are doing that. And when we have a group class in, there's a workout on a proverbial board. It's not on the whiteboard. It's on a screen. That workout is a recommendation. It is not gospel. It is not written in stone. It doesn't have to be followed to the T. Many times we would actually like you to modify it to fit your ability level and goals. Now, sometimes it is difficult to know where you are. This is one reason why we personally have removed the different numbers. We have removed workouts, quote unquote, for time. 
because we want folks to be able to feel comfortable doing whatever they feel comfortable and safe doing. So if it says workout requires a 155 pound clean and jerk, and that is your one rep max, I wouldn't recommend that you do that. But some people feel the need that like, cause it's on the board, then I have to do that. And that couldn't be further from the truth. You have to do something that is fits your body, your needs, your goals, and your ability levels. Because if you do do that 155 clean and jerk 30 times, and it's your one rep max, there's a very high likelihood that you're going to injure yourself versus doing something that fits your goals. So my recommendation always in the classes that I coach and the people that I talk to is that the conditioning should be at about 55 to 65% of the most you can do. So let's say if you can squat 100 pounds, the workout should be about 55 to 65 pounds. That will allow you to move consistently through it. The conditioning is conditioning. It's not supposed to be grinding reps. You shouldn't be struggling to do reps. You should be able to move consistently and sustainably throughout. So it's all about consistent and sustainable effort. If I have to stop because the movement is too difficult, then you've lost the intended stimulus of and the intended purpose of conditioning. Now you're turning it into a strength training session with a high heart rate, which also is not the, the best situation to be in. So what you want to think about is that when I'm doing those sorts of things, I want to be able to move consistently and sustainably and keep the weight light enough where I can, one, keep moving, two, keep moving safely, right? Because that's a big thing. When we start getting tired, yeah, that 55 pounds might be easy that first and second set, but when you start getting fatigued and the heart rate becomes a factor and all those different things become a factor, then we want to make sure that we can still move and still move consistently and still move safely when we have that different stimulus happening later in the workout when we're 10, 15, 20 minutes in. So definitely making sure that we choose an appropriate weight and we start really slow, right? We have our whole lives to do this sort of thing. There is no fire. There is no rush. Nobody here, well, I shouldn't say nobody, but, but some folks don't have a timeline. There isn't a timeline to performing your best. There isn't a timeline to being able to squat more weight. Unless you're performing a, a competition or unless you have, you know, like the Olympics or you have something like that, those situations that we need to hurry up and get to somewhere just don't exist. So spend the time to learn the movement properly. Spend the time to get in the proper positions. Spend the time to do these things and all the things that we talked about, you know, being able to perform the movements well, hitting plateaus, so on and so forth, they don't happen. Because if you take it slow, the plateau takes forever to get there. If we go too fast too soon, the plateau comes really early. And then we have to go backwards and retrain ourselves and learning how to do the movement correctly in a full range of motion, in this and that and the other thing. So then we don't get hurt. And then we can take the time and continue to progress over, over time. And recovery... Is, a, is another huge part of it. So we work out to recover. I forgot. I mean, I saw that on an Instagram thing, but it made perfect sense. I think it was from OPEX and they, OPEX is one of the certifications that out there, it's one of the higher, higher level certifications. So in there, they talked about, we work out to recover. So our recovery is what actually makes us better. The actual workout doesn't make us better. The workout beats us down. The workout is stress. Working out is stressful. It's stressful on your body. It's stressful on your central nervous system. It creates micro tears into your muscles, so on and so forth. It hurt, you know, could cause some injuries to the, not injuries, but like a little trauma to your joints. So then what happens after that? How do you recover? 
Now, are you sitting there with a massage gun and you're just foam rolling and doing that sort of thing? That's not going to really help you recover. What re- helps you recover is one, your nutrition. Like, is it in check? Do you have good, are you eating whole minimally processed foods? Are you eating enough carbohydrates? Are you eating enough proteins? Are you eating enough fats and all that kind of stuff to allow your body to feed itself so it can recover? No. Then we are in a little bit of an issue there. Two, are we sleeping? Seven to nine hours is the recommendation. In the book by Matthew Walker, Why We Sleep, they talk about after continued bouts of under seven hours, like they talked about, you know, some athletes, like the the incidence of injury and pain and all that different uh, negative health outcomes goes up exponentially. So then we want to think about all the different ways that we can aid in recovery. It isn't more stretching, more foam rolling, more this, more that, more this. It's actually less of that and more of something that's really basic. Sleep, rest, nutrition, water, and that's it. Okay. The more sleep we get, the better sleep we get, the better we feed ourselves with proper nutrition and the more water we drink and the less, you know, less crazy we get with caffeine, which also plays to sleep, then the better our recovery is going to be. Now, if you're doing all of those things, so you're doing, you have great sleep, you're, you're crushing nutrition, you're, you have low levels of stress, you're drinking lots of water and you're still having trouble recovering from whatever, for whatever reason, then we might want to take a look at some other things, right? So you might want to take a look at how intense your workout is. Now, are you doing too much? Like if you're always feeling run down and fatigued, there might be some other things that are happening that we might not have complete control over, or we do have complete control over. We want to take a look and make sure that we're actually addressing those issues so they aren't continuing to happen over and over and over again. But if you have all those things in check, which we find that not many folks have all those boxes checked, and once you do, then everything should fall into line. So in terms of the, the questions that were on our Facebook group, that does it for that. Now, a little side riff, I guess, on my own is I want to touch upon some different things. As, I, as many know, maybe you don't know, my background, I started this whole rundown of things as a physical education teacher in New York City. So when I first opened, I guess, Prime Performance back in the day in Brooklyn, it was a youth performance group. Now, the reason is at the time I was a physical education teacher, a football coach and a track and field coach in New York City in a, in a couple different schools. I mostly did most of my coaching in at Midwood High School Shout out to all my Midwood fans out there. It was a great experience. But what I found, and even in a huge place like New York City in Brooklyn, there was, a, there was a disconnect with athletes who might be training. High school sports are very different in New York City than they are in upstate New York. Upstate New York, there's, there's these Pop Warners, there's all these AYSOs, and there's all these different club organizations. In New York City, there weren't that many of those situations, mainly because like field space is very difficult to come by. We would get athletes who were coaching or playing football and they had never played football before before they came into high school in ninth grade, which is kind of good and bad, right? Because then they don't, they don't know anything to, that's bad, quote unquote, bad habits, but they also don't have the football knowledge or football IQ as that somebody who might've been playing it for six or seven years before they get into high school. Over the years, we started kind of 
obviously training our own athletes. I started training my track and field athletes, which I had phenomenal athletes down that I worked with. And one of them just was at the Olympic trials for the triple jump last weekend. And she did a great job and we're going to have her on the podcast pretty soon. When we're talking about athletic performance or development of young athletes and kind of like what some of us are going through right now, the, the part of it is about education, just like we talked about nutrition. My man Joe in here was talking about how, like I always thought just being bigger was meant that I was going to be stronger and a better athlete. So when we're younger, we think we have these ideas that I need to get bigger, I need to get bigger, I need to get bigger, I need to get stronger, I need to get stronger, I need to get stronger. Not that I need to move better, not that I need to just get stronger, but not get bigger. If you think about an athlete, if I think about it, like some of the soccer girls that I have, I don't want to make them bigger. I want to keep them the same size generally and make them stronger. If I make them constantly bigger, then they have to move more weight around and it becomes more and more difficult for them to move their weight around, change direction, jump, so on and so forth. So certain athletes, yes, we want to get bigger. Football linemen, sometimes we want to make them bigger. A football wide receiver, unless they're really struggling to, to like kind of be physical on the line or scrimmage and stuff like that, we don't want them to be bigger. We want them to be stronger without being bigger. So people, people are probably listening and be like, what does that even mean? Like, how do you get stronger without getting bigger? The style of training you do makes a difference, right? There's different styles of training like bodybuilding or hypertrophy training, which is the idea is body comp, how you look, which is what many people do. And then there's, you know, like the power lifter mentality, which is what many athletes do. Many football players, myself included, as I was growing up, that was kind of the, the blueprint was that you train like a power lifter because power lifters got strong. But if you look at power lifters, power lifters don't move well, right? And outside of their, you know, respective lifts. Yeah, they can deadlift. Yeah, they can bench press a ton. Yeah, they can squat a ton. But many of them can't bend down to touch their toe, their, their, their toes or tie their shoes. As a football player, as an athlete, not being able to tie your shoes would probably be the worst case scenario. Okay, if you're, a, if you're training a basketball player, you're tra- training them or teaching them like a, a power lifter, and then they can't move and do the things that they need to do then you're doing them a disservice. So my goal always for, for both prime movement performance as a, the adult population as well as our youth population is to be able to get people stronger and be able to move better without making them quote unquote bulky. Okay. So there's different styles of training that would, inc- would allow you to get, build their muscle. Right. And we don't do that. And we don't do that with the athletes. And we try to, you know, the Jim Wendler, who's famous for his, powerlifting he's a powerlifter by by trade but he has a book called 531 which is a, a famous kind of powerlifting cycle to get people really strong and it's very low volume but really high intensity so it's literally three sets of five and then the next week is three sets of three and then it's one set of five one set of three one set of one and then it's a deload week with three sets of five again that's it and it gets people really strong without getting them really like crazy big his idea for coaching football players specifically or in like contact athletes is to bodybuild the upper and athlete the lower. What does that mean? Bodybuilding, it goes into like the higher volume ranges. So if we're talking about bodybuilding specifically, we're talking 12, 15, 18, 20 reps, right? We start getting those higher volumes and the more time under tension, the longer you're doing an exercise for, the more you get muscle building and mass building through hypertrophy. Okay. It's all just time under tension. And whereas athletically without building the muscle, right? The big bulky mass, we want to do higher intensities, like more weights, heavier weights, 
at lower repetitions. Now, if you have an injury and different injury protocols, also go towards the hypertrophy phases because when you're doing 12 to 15 repetitions, you aren't going as heavy. You can do more control and you can allow yourself to learn how to do those movements a little bit better. So we have an ebb and flow when we do our programming at Prime Movement Performance. You may find that some things are longer and slower tempos, this which allows us to rebuild muscle tissue and rebuild connective tissue because once we do fast things all the time, we, we rely on our connective tissue to bounce us in and out of positions. That's when our elbows and knees start to hurt, our hips start to hurt a little bit. When we do things slow or can hold a contraction, right? A slow eccentric movement, like going down really slow in a squat or holding the bottom of a squat for a long period of time, that helps rebuild and restructure connective tissue. Because now you're not using a, what they call a stretch reflex. So when I stretch my tendons in my knee and my ligaments in my knee and my, all those different things, they bounce back like rubber bands. So when I go down fast, I can bounce out of the hole fast. I come to stand up. If I hold the position, if I'm holding the bottom of a squat, now in order to get up, I have to use my muscles. So it reserves or it, it uh, gives the, the tendon, the connective tissues a break from having to use that stretch reflex. So now the muscles are doing more of the work and giving the, the connective tissue a break, which allows it to also rebuild some of that sort of thing. Muscles build much faster than connective tissue. Connective tissue takes a long time. Connective tissue is, is plastic, just like everything else in our body, but it takes a much longer time. And I think in one of the, the stretching things I was doing over quarantine, they talked about stretching increasing the length in connective tissue, like if I'm working on flexibility, might take 12 to 18 months. So I was talking with, about this with somebody the other day in the gym. We were talking about stretching and how they should stretch more. And I had commented that stretching isn't, isn't for right now. Stretching is for six months from now. Stretching is for a year from now. So if you start stretching every day right now, you might increase your flexibility. You probably would increase your flexibility six, nine, 12, 15, 18 months from now. You're not increasing your flexibility right now. There are certain ways we can unlock certain things in our central nervous system. So when we foam roll and we get increased range of motion in our shoulder, increased range of motion, we didn't increase our flexibility. We've just allowed our central nervous system to relax a little bit to allow us to get into a deeper range of motion, which can be a good or bad thing depending on the situation. Now, if we're, let's say we're working on a snatch or something like really dynamic overhead, and I've just got this newfound range of motion from rolling out my shoulder and doing these interesting shoulder mobility exercises, which now I, I can get my arm overhead, which I couldn't before. And then I go and throw a barbell in my hand and try to do this movement. But my body, my musculature isn't used to getting in that position. So it doesn't know what to do. And I potentially increase my risk for injury. Yes, I might be able to do the exercise a little bit easier under light weights, but if I try to push it, my shoulder that's now going into the position that it wasn't in 20 minutes ago might end up in a really bad position and end up being hurt from it. This is why like some people talk about like don't exercise right after Cairo or physical therapy or massage or things like that because your body's so loose and you might end up in positions and ranges and things like that, that your body's not used to being in and having control over. So when we get there, we might end up in a position where, uh Oh, what do we do now? Boom. I hurt my shoulder. Bam. I hurt my hip. My low back's out. Blah, 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 blah. There is a progression to these sorts of things. So if you are interested in learning about those, like the basic progression is mobility, stability, and an integration. 
Okay, so we might start with some basic, you know, static stretching, increase some ranges of motion, do some active kind of ranges of motion to like learn the pattern, and then build stability in this new range. So let's say if we were doing that overhead example. So yeah, I did some foam rolling, I did some stretching, now I have more overhead range of motion than I had before. What I might do there is then get a dumbbell or a kettlebell and work some single arm presses and maybe a single arm carry to build strength in that new position and then try to go into that pattern of that snatch or whatever overhead movement I'm doing, but keep it light and work that position until it feels comfortable because now we want to make it sticky, right? How do we make that movement sticky and hit the save button without having to delete it all again? And I think that's what Kevin Carr was talking about in our podcast with him was like, we want to be able to hit the save button so we can come back to it and we can have it. Yes. The next time you're not going to have all the same range of motion that we just gained in that session, it's going to go back a little bit, but we do want to hit that save button. So we have as much of that new range of motion as possible. And we find that that happens with uh, hamstrings and it happens with shoulders and happens a lot. Like people can come in, they're warmed up. Oh, look, I can touch my toes. And they come in the next day and they can't touch their toes. Okay. So what do they do to hit the safe button to be able to make it stick and make it go for a long time? One more thing before we kind of end it off and call it for the day. I had a conversation about different uh, people who we have on the podcast and something came up like, what's your body of work? Like, what's the body of work that you have the ability to talk about? So what have you done in your life that is talk show worthy, right? Podcast worthy or whatever you want to call it. Many of us have done many things. And I just thought we, my wife and I just had this conversation about her resume. She hired an outside organization to kind of help with resume building and doing some other different things just to kind of get an idea and, and do stuff. And then she was reading over what this woman had wrote and she was astounded at the amount of things that she's done, which she's done many things. And many of us have, and we have this body of work that we can talk about. The problem is, is that many of us don't know what that body of work is. And we don't write it down. And it's really exciting when we do have guests who have a body of work to talk about. What I want to leave you with is what is your body of work? Like what have you done in your life or what do you want to achieve in your life that will allow you to have something to talk about that is quote unquote podcast or talk show worthy that is your body of work that you are proud of. And I think if you are living your life in your prime, and you are doing all the things needed to find your prime, that body of work will be exceptional. Till next time, have a great day. Thanks again for hanging out for another episode of the Prime Podcast. As usual, we would love to hear some feedback. Give us a five-star review. Whatever that might be in your world, leave us some love. Till next time, find your Said I'm at my prime